It's time to get inside the Giants huddle. Let's go back to your huddle. On Giants.com. Tempo, tempo, tempo. And the Giants mobile app. Go, 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 part go. Part of the Giants podcast network. Yeah. Welcome to the newest edition of the Giants huddle podcast. John Schmelk with you. Today's guest, Nate Ebner, who will talk with our very own Madeline Burke about his career in rugby, the NFL, and the relationship with his father, Jeff Ebner, who was tragically murdered back in 2008 in an attempted robbery. But first, I want to remind everybody to get vaccinated. Go to covid19.nj.gov slash vaccine to register. And don't miss out on your chance to experience a premier hospitality experience watching Giant Games, world-class concerts in 2021 as a Giant Suite partner. Limited full-season locations are available or place a deposit for individual games. Call 888-NYG-1925 or visit giants.com slash suites for more information. And now let's get to our guest. He is Nate Ebner, who played for the Giants in 2020, expected to re-sign in 2021. He participated in the Olympics in 2016 for rugby. He is trying to do the same this year in 2020. Uh, He just wrote a book called Finish Strong, talking about that pursuit and the relationship with his father, Jeff Ebner, who again was tragically murdered back in 2008. Here's our very own Madeline Burke with Nate Ebner. I'm joined now by a three-time Super Bowl champion who didn't even play football until college. Nate Ebner, I understand rugby is your first love in terms of sport. I got to know, how would you describe the biggest difference between rugby and football? Ooh, how would I describe the biggest difference? Um, man, where do I start? They're extremely different to me. Um, I think they're really not similar at all, actually, uh, other than the fact that you tackle people that's similar and, um, you know, you run around and stuff in their physical games, but, um, you know, ultimately you're trying to move the ball forward in both games, but you do it differently in rugby. You got to pass backwards and run it forward. Whereas football, you know, there's a line of scrimmage and it's set and receivers can run downfield and you can pass the ball forward, obviously. And, um, so, Philosophically, they're two very different games. I would almost venture to say from a flow standpoint, rugby is a lot more similar to basketball, in my opinion. So That's interesting. That is an interesting comparison. And I mean, I know for you, rugby came first. You were an All-American rugby player at Ohio State, and you walked on to the football team in your junior year. I'm curious how you made that transition. Um, Well, it was a lot of of work, um, but you know, to make that decision mentally, um, you know, I was played in a couple junior world cups leading up to that point. As you said, I was a, uh, all American as a freshman at Ohio state. And, um, I got to the point where the junior world cups were kind of done for me at, as an age grade thing. And I was kind of in limbo between playing professional rugby and playing for the national team. And, and I was just at Ohio state playing club rugby and, uh, you know, it is what it is. I just kind of lost a little bit of, uh, you know, passion for it in the club rugby sense. I wanted more from my teammates and, and more from just the game as a whole because I, I was so used to playing it at an international level um, that I think that kind of got me to look in other directions. And, you know, my senior year uh, in high school, I wanted to play football. I chose not to. And, uh, my high school team won the division one state championship in Ohio. So that was bittersweet. And like I always, I always say they, they didn't need me obviously, but um, not being a part of that was something that I thought about. And 
Um, I think that where I was in a standstill with rugby, you know, I'm at Ohio State, one of the biggest football schools in the, in the country, in the world. And, you know, I was, I just had that hunger to do it. And I decided I, w- I would go for it. And I had a conversation with, with my dad and uh, said, you know, I think I'm going to, I'm going to try. And then just went to the walk on process, um, you know, did like a little pro day type of thing. And uh, it was, a, it was a lot of hard work and it was a very humbling experience, you know, athletically I could run and jump and do all those things like everyone else, but it was the, you know, I had to learn about football and that was a huge learning experience for me. Um, not knowing anything about football at all. I mean, at all. So it was, uh, I was very raw and, um, you know, I'd say that was probably the hardest part of it all was just to learn the game and figure out what I was doing. I mean, football is a chess game for real. So. Yeah. Well, and talk about baptism by fire. I mean, learning football for the first, you know, at that stage, but also at Ohio state university, which is, you know, everyone knows is a pretty much powerhouse in college football. That must've been quite the task to take on. Yeah. I mean, it was, um, but you know, I, I took the mindset that, you know, if I could run as fast or faster than other guys or jump or just as strong, like physically I could do what they could do. I just needed to wrap my mind around the game. And, um, you know, that took some time, but, um, you know, I, I had enough confidence in myself, whether anyone else did or not, um, that, you know, I just pushed myself to work hard and, you know, take a, take a step forward every day, whether it was a big one or not, just, small steps forward every day and then you know find my way on the field I think that was my first task was just find a way to get on the field and that's where special teams was a huge part of you know obviously still to this day of my life um you know I don't think back then when I decided to play football I would have wrote it that way but um you know I, I walked on at Ohio State with the with the dream and goal of getting to the NFL and um you know, special teams has been a monumental part of that in entire transition. So um, that allowed me to get on the field early as a young, at a young age, not knowing anything about football, just fly down the field and, and try to tackle, you know, the guy with the ball. And, um, you know, I got to learn football in the process as I went. So you mentioned a conversation you had with your dad and making that transition. I understand your dad had a huge influence especially in your athletic career before his untimely death. And I know that you wrote a book that is coming out very soon called Finish Strong about that relationship. What can you tell me about that conversation and about his role in shaping you as, as an athlete and a man? Well, you know, he was a huge part of everything in my life. Um, obviously got me involved in rugby and, um, but got me involved in all the sports. I mean, Uh, Our relationship was, you know, I'd put it up against any father-son relationship out there. We were extremely close and uh, he was the best friend to me at that point. Um, So, you know, he was a big part of all my decision-making processes. And, um, you know, it was like he was along on the ride with me. So um, when it got to that point, you know, obviously I kind of had carved out a pretty good rugby career for myself. And it was like, what steps do I want to take to to try to maybe play professionally and um, those types of things. So, you know, to walk onto a football team when I hadn't played football in, for, since I was in seventh grade or whatever, um, 
you know, to, to, to leave that rugby career behind to, to chase a dream. I mean, that was, you know, that was saying a lot when I had done so much to build that rugby career. So, um, you know, we had that conversation, but it, it weighed heavy on my heart and he heard me out, but that was, uh, you know, that was something we always did. We'd work out, we'd have dinner together in Columbus, um, at this place called the athletic club of Columbus. And we, you know, we'd always go down and have dinner and we had that talk that, that night. And, um, you know, that was the last thing we spoke about the next day, uh, was when, you know, he had the incident at the, at the junkyard and then he passed. So, um, you know, having had that conversation with him and his blessing and, and all that, I've, you know, I felt convicted that I needed to make that a reality, make that come true. And, um, I think, you know, it was a huge driving force for, you know, to inspire me to get, to go for that, you know, even when it was tough and, and things got hard, it was something that I could lean into. Um, you know, that relationship was a foundation for everything in my life. And when you have such a good foundation like that, when things get hard and you, you know what to lean into, um, you know, it was really good for me and, and kept me in a very centered place um, mentally and emotionally. So, um, you know, yeah, huge part of my life um, from from just being young and playing sports together to, you know, getting me in the junkyard working, you know, full days, uh, just teaching me about the important characteristics you need to have, uh, you know, as a man, uh, as a human being. Um, you know, we talk, I talk about all that in the book and, uh, you know, it's, it's really, if anything else, it's, it's a real genuine take on a, on a father son relationship that I think allowed me to do, be a part of some great things. Um, but it was all rooted in, in that relationship. So. I can't imagine what you must have gone through. I mean, your father being killed at such a young age in a place that you guys spent so much time together as well and you know writing a book in any capacity is a is a tall task to take on but how cathartic if if anything was it to write this story and to kind of honor his his legacy in a way yeah sorry um you know ultimately i i think i think about that and you know something for me that was big in my mourning process, if you will, uh, just getting through it all. You know, I had the realization that I had like the best dad in the world and I had him for 19 years. Um, you know, at the end of it, like I said, we were best friends. So, um, you know, there are a lot of kids that don't have parents that long that have parents that, choose not to be a part of their lives that just aren't good parents. So, um, yeah, I would obviously like him to still be around to see everything that I've done and go on that journey with me. But, you know, ultimately I was really lucky to have the father that I had. And I think I realized that, um, I always knew it. And I think that was something once he passed that I took appreciation to, and I was just thankful that I had him rather than, focusing on, you know, that, that he was gone. So, uh, you know, a big part of that for me was just trying to keep the right, right mindset. You know, my mom was a huge part of that. Um, I talk about that a little bit in the book as well. Just, you know, I was 
as you can imagine, right after that happened, you know, I dropped out of school, um, kind of was in a bad place and not really sure what to do, but she brought me back, you know, with a conversation and basically said that, you know, you got to live a life that he would want you to live that he, you know, he would be proud of. Um, and I think, you know, that was a huge turning point for me because she was spot on and, you know, it took a lot of strength for her to say that, that to her son who just lost his dad, his best friend. And, you know, she could have easily just coddled me and let me, you know, sit, sit around with my hood up and, and, you know, stay in a dark room all day, but, you know, she didn't like what it was doing to me. And, you know, she brought to light that, you know, my dad wouldn't have liked it either. So, um, she was a huge part of that. And, uh, like I said, ultimately trying to have that mindset of, uh, just gratitude for the type of parents that I do have, the, the father that I did have that was so ingrained in my life, um, in every aspect of it. And, um, you know, I hope that one day if I do have kids that I can be half of what he was to me because uh, he was the gold standard, if you will, for, you know, the way parents should treat their kids and put everything they have in, into their children. So. When you mentioned, you know, doing things or living in a way that would make him proud, I have to imagine playing for Team USA Rugby Sevens in the 2016 Olympics would have been something that he would have smiled at. It was the first ever inclusion of rugby sevens at the Olympic games. What do you remember most about that experience in Rio? Uh, well, I will say the decision to do that um, was, as I knew the Olympics were coming, it was something that I couldn't stop thinking about. Obviously I grew up playing rugby since I was six years old. I, I always had to, you know, go into my dad's games. I, I was going to my dad's games in, in a cradle so you know I was always around the game I, I grew up around it and like you had mentioned the rugby hadn't been in the Olympics for like almost almost 100 years so the timing that I was you know in the prime of my sports career I had grown up playing this sport my whole life I had the skill set to have a chance to maybe make it um, to know what my dad would have thought about you know me playing in the Olympics um, I, I just felt so convicted to do that, that there was no chance I, I wasn't going to try. And, um, you know, it was something that kind of ate at me as those years were getting closer and closer that when the time came, you know, I, ultimately I, I always told myself, you know, I want to be able to sleep at night because I made a decision to try something, you know, that, that would have kept me up at night wondering what it would have been like or had I could I have had an impact to help or you know just what would that experience have been could I have made it and those questions would like I said keep me up at night so you know obviously like I said I, I was extremely convicted to, to do that but you know what do I remember most from it um it was a fan, fantastic, amazing experience. I'd say the opening ceremony was something that hit me pretty hard as an American uh being on a different you know, continent. Uh, and, and when we walked out team USA, you know, after a couple hour long opening ceremony with the stadium packed, you know, the, the, the roar that we got as Americans in a different country that doesn't speak our language, like I said, another continent, um, 
it was it was uh it was it was took take took me back you know it was like you know you're representing something so much bigger than yourself and you're part of something great that the rest of the world recognizes i mean that's how i felt you know when when they were screaming like that when team usa came out so um that was probably one of my favorite experiences i'd say another major thing that i think about is you know obviously not winning a medal um i felt we had the team to do that um and you know didn't get out of our, our pool to have a, have that opportunity you know after the pool play we we won all our games and whatnot but you got to get in those those medal rounds early and uh you know that's something that i i think about unfortunately from that experience a lot well another olympic year is upon us another opportunity are you pursuing that opportunity again will you be joining team usa again well let's hope so um I'm out, I'm out trying, you know, I'm out in a, in a very similar situation. Um, I'm a, a bit older and whatnot, but, uh, you know, ultimately, you know, I think about my life and my career and, and decisions that I make and, you know, I want to sleep at night for the rest of my life, not wondering what if. And I think, you know, when I sit there and tell you that one of the things I remember most was not winning a medal and having the opportunity to potentially win one um you know this is really realistically probably a, a last shot for me so it's like uh you know now or never type of deal and again that conviction to want to go for it um where your whole heart's in it you know I, i'm i'm feeling myself at a very similar place and um you know yeah so i'm here i'm gonna try obviously we've got a lot of grueling camps we got to go through. It's, it's physical. Um, you know, they only take 12 guys and they're all, you know, the team's full of professional players, some of the best in the world. And, you know, if, if it's meant to be, it's meant to be, but at the end of the day, um, I'm going to give it my all and, you know, I'll, I'll make it or I won't, but I'll tell you, I'll be able to sleep at night knowing I tried and, and it won't be for lack of effort. So. Well, and you, you mentioned just how hard it is to win a medal at that stage. You've won three Super Bowl rings, and yeah. uh, that is something that a lot of people strive for in their careers. But when you kind of compare the experience of getting to a Super Bowl versus being at the Olympics, how would you say that those feel, I mean, obviously they're, they're the pinnacle of sport, but how would you differ between the two of them? Um, they're similar in the fact that they're the pinnacle of sport. Um, aside from that, you know, the Super Bowl is this massive media day. You've kind of got a media day like that with the Olympics, kind of similar stuff, but nothing like the crazy show of a Super Bowl media day. Um, but then ultimately you've got that one day where it's, you know, that three hour, well, four hours on a Super Bowl day because of the halftime show. But, you know what I'm saying, the uh, the one game that you've got to play and you got to win it. And, um, you know, everything comes to that moment that you've built through the entire season. And, um, you know, it's kind of just that's that singular moment, whereas the Olympics is, you know, you, you've got that media, but then you've got the opening ceremonies. You're part of Team USA. There's, you know, you're in this Olympic village with like 8,000 other athletes. You're on a different continent. You got to figure out your nutrition because, it's, you know, you're not at your, you know, cafeteria or whatever dining hall and that you're used to. So uh, you you know, you're, you've got maybe a couple of weeks till your, your, um, you know, sport, your, you know, 
game starts and then it's, it's multiple days. It's not, you know, we've, we've got two or three days of, of tournament play. So you don't have this one moment that's built up. I mean, you've got to kind of handle it um, like any other tournament in the world that on the HSB series that they HSBC series that they go through. So, um, you know, ultimately I will say a similar thing as an athlete between the two is they're, you know, high stress, a lot's on the line, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, as an athlete, you just kind of need to stay in the moment, but that's like anything else in life, you know, in my opinion, but, you know, in the, in the, in a Super Bowl, you got to stay in the moment, you know, if it's the first quarter of whatever play you're in, you got to be in that play, not thinking about anything else. And if it's the first game of a Olympic tournament, you know, you're, you're not in the, the medal rounds yet. You need to win this, this game. So, and just like that, you need to, stay in, in every play. And um, I think that's really where I try to keep my mindset through, through all of it. So. Well, and it's such a unique experience that comes around, you know, once every four years, or in this case, five, because of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, it also, though, timing-wise, it overlaps with training camp a little bit and, and the NFL season getting geared up. How supportive have the Giants and that organization and Coach Judge and Dave Gettleman been in this pursuit for you? Um, they've been extremely supportive. I mean, I really haven't had like any, any negative feedback or, or pushback or anything. Um, so, you know, to do something like this, um, you know, it is a physical sport, things can happen, but to just have that, that backing and support to know that I can go wholeheartedly into this and, you know, I'm not going to be looked at or treated any differently um, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely comforting, I guess, you know, um, but ultimately, um, like, like I said earlier, that when that conviction sets in to, to do something, it's like, you, like, I can't worry about all these other things, you know what I mean? You just got to handle your business. Um, but to have their support to do something like this, I, I mean, it, it, it does mean the world um, because these are life-changing moments in my opinion. And, um, you know, the ability to pursue something that is life-changing is, is, is great without having to, you know, sacrifice something I've worked for for a decade, you know, it, this will be my 10th year in the NFL. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's awesome. It's a blessing and, you know, hopefully it all works out and, uh, you know, I think Joe knows uh, last time I did the Olympics, I came back in, in really good shape because of how much running rugby has. So hopefully it works out like that. I can imagine. I mean, you know, 2016, you come back from the Olympics and just kind of hit the ground running into NFL season. What was that transition like? Uh, I mean, from rugby back to back to football, that was, I mean, I fairly easy. It was, I was in such good shape. I mean, the amount of, cardiovascular running and whatnot that rugby sevens requires is just an entire another level unlike anything we do in the NFL um and you know because to go back to our opening conversation they're different sports um but when you are that you know never getting tired um you know you prepared for a game that's just way more taxing to then come back to play football, uh, you know, of all the things that 
you know, can kind of deter you as a player. Um, you know, that wasn't one I had to worry about. Getting tired was not something I even had to think about. And, you know, I, I was moving really well. And, you know, in rugby, you tackle just all the time. We tackle a ton in practice. You just are constantly tackling and it, it transitioned for me really well. So um, I had a great year that year. So hopefully, uh, you know, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but you know, hopefully uh, it's a similar case. Yeah, hopefully you'll come back in the middle of training camp and Joe judges training camp laps. Oh, no big deal. I could do those, right? Uh, yeah, I won't be worried about those at all. <laughs> <laughs> so how good is Team USA? I mean, you mentioned that in 2016, this team was good enough. They had the tools to kind of get it done. Do you think that this group that you've seen so far uh, has what it takes? I mean, we'll see. But when I look at 2016, we played the gold medal winners. They were in our pool, Fiji. We lost by four, extremely close game. Um, Argentina was in the semifinal to play for um, – to go to the gold medal match as well. They were also in our pool, and uh, we were winning the entire game. It's kind of like soccer. There was no time left, but they, they scored at the last second to, to lose. That, that was pretty heartbreaking. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's not – you know, and then we – we shut out another team, but at that point it was too little too late. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we're competitive. I mean, we were competitive in 2016 with obviously the gold medal winners and, and, and another team that was up there in the medal rounds as well. So, um, and then the years following the USA um, finished second in the world in the world series. They almost finished first. They lost to Fiji in like one of the last games of one of the last tournaments. It's kind of like, you accrue points through all these tournaments throughout the year. And, um, and then at the end, whoever has the most points wins like a FedEx cup or whatnot. But anyways, USA got second and has been a top nation in the last couple of years. Um, I don't think anyone in the world comes and has played the United States and, and takes them lightly anymore. Um, so, you know, with all that being said, it really doesn't mean anything once the tournament starts, you know, anything can happen. Um, but we need to, you know, if the USA is playing at their best, I think they're the best in the world. Now the question is, is can you put that together throughout an entire tournament when, you know, your time is called because that's what it's all about. So I hope, I hope we can do it whether I'm there or not. I, I just want that for rugby in this country uh, to, to win a medal, what that would do for the sport. Um, that would be fantastic. And regardless if I was there, I mean, obviously being there would be, it would be awesome too. So <laughs> it would be pretty rad either way. Um, but Nate, good luck with everything with this team USA rugby pursuit with the impending book, finish strong, which is on bookshelves in May of 2021, and the upcoming Tokyo Olympics. And we're looking forward to having you back on the football field this fall for giants football. Thanks so much for taking the time today. Yeah. Thanks for having me. That's Nate Emner, a great interview from Mal, and we thank her, and we thank Nate for giving us the time right here on the Giants Huddle Podcast. Limited Giants season tickets are on sale now for the 2021 season. In addition to ticket savings, membership benefits include access to exclusive events, experiences, pre-sales, and more. You can lock in your seats starting at just 100 bucks. Call 888-NYG-1925 or visit Giants.com slash tickets for more information. For Nate Ebner and our own Madeline Burke, I am John Schmelk. Thank you for joining us on the Giants Huddle Podcast. We'll see you next time.